this morning. You ready for this? It is 2018, right? Is that crazy? Like time just flies by and we're in the first week of 2018 here getting it launched. And so many of you, you're like your first week into New Year's resolutions, right? And many of you are like, dude, that was like five days ago. Those are done. I'm over with that. Didn't work out real well and we moved on already. And you know, New Year's resolutions, we have let it affect so many areas of our life, right? We always start with the first and foremost, it has something to do with diet or exercise. We try to make some kind of decision there. That may last you 48 hours, it may last you a year, whichever way that goes for you, and right, we try to get some things cleared up there. Maybe you have some relational things, like this year with our family, we're going to do, or uh, with my wife, I'm going to make sure that I, and uh, however that works out, right, we try to walk through this time. Why? Well, because transitions allow us a chance to be able to just reprocess. It's not like January 1st is the only time we should be looking for change to be adjusted into our life, but it does help us to take some reassessment and go, ah, maybe now's the time to adjust. I got into a little bit of a habit here. Let's set some of that down, and I need to get out of some of, right? And we go after that, and man, I'm just telling you, in the midst of our New Year's resolutions, there's a lot of things that we take in and we consider, here's what I'm asking you to consider for this year. Are you ready to be able to consider what it looks like to be on fire for Jesus Christ with all you've got? To be able to say, Lord, I'm talking about this year maybe like never before. And maybe for some of you, you're like, I think maybe I don't even know what saved means. And it's time to grasp that. And man, may our calling, may our passion be to get this salvation thing clear and begin to live for Jesus Christ. Ready? And all of God's people said, right, hard not to say amen to that one, right? And uh, it's super clear and simple in scripture and a call out for us. Lord, may we go after it. Man, we are starting just a three-week series here on salvation. What does it mean to be saved? And today we're answering one simple question. How? Like, how can I be saved? How do I go about doing that? What is it taking from me? What does that mean that I bring to the table? What? How am I saved? And then next week, we're going to be looking at the security of that. And beyond that, the third week, the assurances in that. And just getting our arms around it. We're going to walk through a little bit of maybe some things you've heard, some stuff you've been practicing that really, quite frankly, biblically just doesn't get it done. And so let's walk through, let's make sure we understand what Scripture has to say, and then let's set down some of those things maybe the world has to say about it, and let's get after it God's way, okay? So here we go. We're going to be talking about salvation today. How can I be saved? Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 19. Romans 3, starting in verse 19. And we're just going to walk through a portion of the passage here, and... Uh, answer a few details about salvation. And uh, first, the need. Uh, my sin and selfishness make a mockery of God. My attempt at good works will not fix that. The need. Uh, my sin and selfishness make a mockery of God. My attempt at good works will not fix that. Man, if we're going to understand salvation, first we have to understand the need. So here we go. We start in verse 19. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. It says, now we know 
And uh, notice it does not say, now we're taking a guess. Like, now we kind of hope, we're not sure, but we think maybe. Everybody say, not that. Now we know. Everybody say, we can know. Okay, here's a few things we know. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. And the law has a statement for those who are under it. Notice what it says next. So that whenever you're reading scripture, read slowly, read carefully. It's not, some of us read scripture, we're like, oh man, I feel like I have to read five chapters a day. Like if I'm not powering through scripture, I don't feel like I'm really going through the, and it's not wrong to stop and slow down and just do one section slow and carefully and make sure you're grasping the detail and and uh, maybe that's your New Year's resolution when it comes to the Word this year. It's just taking some time, slowing down, camping in the passage, and making sure you grasp what it says. He says here, so that, and uh, that's a purpose statement. And uh, so it's important we understand the law is speaking and it has a purpose. So that every mouth may be stopped. In other words, no bragging, Right? If it was about works, we could be like, dude, do you know how awesome I am? Right? And uh, Ephesians 2 says that it's not about good works. Otherwise, we could boast. There's not going to be anybody in heaven going, you wouldn't believe how good I was. Like, the reason I'm here is because of me and my works. Everybody say, not that. It isn't that. It's just not going to be about our works and the law. Well, it stops the mouth. See, because... While we aren't perfect, we love to talk about the things that we give it a good shot at and maybe we achieve a little more than the person next to us. And so we tend to talk a lot about our works and our actions and the reality is that doesn't get it done. And so our mouth gets stopped by the law. It says and the, that the whole world may be held accountable to God. Like who's under the law? The whole world, right? And who's under the law? Answer, like we all, everyone, everyone responsible to be accountable for the whole of the law. But the purpose of the law is to stop our mouths. Remember that. The purpose of the law is to stop our mouths. Notice it does not say so that you might be saved by the law. It doesn't say that. It says, so that we might have our mouths stopped, so that we all might be held accountable to God. The law makes clear what it looks like to be perfect, and God has revealed that out, and the law makes it clear that we're not getting there. We're not measuring up. The law helps clarify, yeah, that ain't it, right? That's it. The law is making it clear for each of us we're coming up short that we might be held accountable to God. It says, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Let that settle. So if you showed up here today, and maybe your New Year's resolution was, I'm going to start back to church, or I'm going to try to go once, we'll see how it goes. And uh, well, welcome, it's great to have you here. And uh, just so you know, if you walked in and you're like, my salvation plan is I'm going to be good enough. My plan is on the balanced beam of life, I hope to have more good than bad, and more good than bad should get it done. And just so you know, Scripture's super clear, by the works of the law, no human being will be saved. It will not be by our works 
that will not justify us in his sight. There isn't a moment where God looks at us and he's like, wow, now that was stunning. Everybody look at this guy. Do you see the works of this guy? This guy's really cranking it out. Everybody start following more like him, right? And uh, everybody say, not that, right? Every one of us in dire need and under the works of the law, we will not be justified. It says, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. See, let's be super clear. The point of the law ultimately is to make clear what sin is and to make clear that we've got it, okay? The law is a measuring stick to reveal, to make us aware of the knowledge of sin. And that's the purpose of the law. So if your plan was, I'm going to try to do all the things that God says in the Bible, I'm going to try to grab this swatch of stuff and make sure I'm executing on that, and that will make me, in quotes, good enough. My works will get it done. The works will not get it done. We'll always come up short. We'll never be able to do it perfectly, and the law sits as a measuring stick, making us perfectly aware, man, I missed it again, right? That's it. Uh, what's wrong with my attitude? Why can't I get this right? How come I spoke that way to my family? What was I thinking when I... The law does not change us. The law just reveals we need the change. And all of God's people said, super important, we grasp that. That is a huge difference. There is not hope in the law. There is a measuring from the law that leaves us hope less if we're on our own. And... Uh, it says, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It's a giant measuring stick of sorts. And, uh, you know, our family, uh, we took our daughters to Disney World when they were younger. And uh, it's just like a whole other world down there in Disney World, right? And they make it where everything is just perfection, at least on the outside, right? Everybody's smiling and laughing and waving. And we actually went on my daughter's birthday and my birthday. Hers is February 6th, mine's February 7th. So we're back to back. So we went for our birthdays. So we're both wearing birthday buttons, walking around Disney World and meeting the Disney characters. And these little kids, they were just so in awe. Their eyes were just popping, seeing all these characters and being able to take pictures and going on rides. And man, they'd see the ride and they're like, oh, that looks so awesome. Let's go on that, right? And then you see these other kids running around doing the same. And can we we go on that right now. We went in February. It was like 55 degrees, so there's not a lot of line, and it really wasn't a bad pain standing around, but as you'd walk up to these different rides, I'm like, can we go on that one? And they come up, and there's this like cutout of Mickey Mouse standing there like this, right? And you got to measure up. You got to come over and stand next to Mickey's hand, and if you're under the hand, you're out, right? And these kids are looking at the ride, and they're like, that looks awesome, and the parents are looking at Mickey's hand and they're like, that doesn't look so awesome. This isn't going to happen. I don't want to have to tell my kid, no, that's not why we came down here. And so they end up coming over and now they're like, I'm pretty sure you're okay, right? And the hand is like here and the kid is like here, right? And so they come over and they're like a foot below it. And the parents are like, stand on your tippy toes, right? And you see in these kids kind of doing this and they're like nowhere near measuring up. There's a moment where they'd even take the kid and like try to lift him up. Like that's good enough. Like how does that help anyone? I'm not even sure what they're trying to accomplish in that. Like somebody take a photo just from the shoulders up so it looks like they're tall enough, right? And then they get up to the front and the guy's going to recognize, uh, this ain't going to happen, right? Here's the reality. Mickey's measuring the height and if you don't measure up, you're out. 
The law is Mickey measuring the height. And here's the problem. None of us measure up. We're out. Everybody get that? We're underneath the hand. We don't measure up. Not even on our tippy toes. And that's the end of it. We're all in dire need. Are you willing to embrace your need? And you might be here this morning and you're like, I don't know, man. I'm pretty good. I'm comparing myself to the guy sitting next to me and I got my act together compared to that. And just so you know, the measuring stick is not the guy next to you. And we'll talk about that in the next point. Are you willing to embrace that we have a need? We are not perfect. We are far from it. And the law just reveals the knowledge of sin. Embrace that. All right. Point number two. God's solution. Uh, All who have an active belief in Jesus as God, risen from the dead, will have Jesus' righteousness applied to them rather than their own unrighteousness. All who have an active belief in Jesus as God, risen from the dead, will have Jesus' righteousness applied to them rather than their own unrighteousness. God's solution is not, you don't measure up, try harder. That is not God's solution. His solution is, we missed it, but he's got a plan. Okay? So here we go. Starting in verse 21. But now, so you got to love, read slowly. The first word here, but. Really important, right? Verses 19 and 20, really not a lot of hope. Right? 19 and 20. You sit under the law and you don't measure up. Wow, that is just not a happy thought. And uh, verse 21, but. Like, hang on. God's got a plan. God's got a thought. He loves you. And he's reaching down in. Here we go. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. He says, but now the righteousness of God. Everybody say, not my righteousness. God's righteousness. The righteousness of God, the perfection of God, the glory of God, the never, ever, ever, ever being wrong of God. The absolute stunning glory and perfection of God is revealed out, has been manifested, is shown to us apart from the law. Here's what he's saying. It's not you sitting under the law trying to get it done that reveals out God's righteousness. He doesn't somehow pour into you as you try to do the law. We call it around here muscling it. I'm going to force it out of me. I'm going to make it look like it's changed already inside of me. I'm going to try to manipulate my actions and muscling it doesn't get it done. And he's like, that's not going to be manifesting God's righteousness. It's apart from the law. The law just shows you Mickey Mouse style, you're under it. Okay, that's it. We're done with the law now. Jesus Christ steps in and manifests the absolute perfection of God Almighty in this world. He has fulfilled the law and set it aside. He is showing to you God's greatness right here in this world. Jesus Christ showing and manifesting the perfection of God for us. Our hope is in God become man. He's showing his righteousness. And he goes further. He says, it is apart from the law. Hang on though. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. 
He's like, make sure you understand this. In the middle of the law, some of the details that were being explained out, they revealed the hope of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk a little bit about that in point number three. The law actually points to Jesus Christ. And so while it's showing this measuring that we don't measure up to, it's also showing that there is a hope in the one who does, Jesus Christ. The law points forward to God Almighty, and there's some statements made about it. The law is the sign. The law is the sign, and it gives us a hope for Jesus Christ. It gives us not a hope in us, but a hope in him. That's the point of the law. Okay, He's like, just so you know, the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And it's a sign that's revealed out so that you can grasp it. And I was thinking this week about signs. And, you know, my daughter Alyssa is right now in Israel. She's over there for a class. Uh, She's part of a class at Taylor University that went over. There's like 30-some kids, 35 kids, I think, that went over there from Taylor. And they're traveling around Israel looking at the geography, studying that, taking exams on it, and being able to walk where Jesus walked. What a great opportunity. And. I asked her, hey, do you have a picture of a sign that you could throw over to me that we could throw up? So here's a picture of a sign that she took, and uh, very cool. They were headed for the Mount of Olives that day. This is where Jesus was sharing out with the disciples, and he's sharing his end times view of life and some of what went on. They were going to that place, to the Mount of Olives, and they walked up to the sign, and she took this picture. You've got the Wailing Wall to one side and the Mount of Olives to another, right? And these are the signs there, and Lissa's traveled over to Israel to go to these places, right? You walk up, and you're like, there it is, the sign for the Mount of Olives. Now, let me ask you. Do you just walk up to the sign and stand under it and go, good enough for me. I stood under the sign to the Mount of Olives. Why not just call that done? Let's go home. And the answer to that is, of course we wouldn't do that, right? You follow the sign and you go to the end point. We call it done when we're actually at the Mount of Olives. The sign to the Mount of Olives just points to it. Don't camp there, okay? Same thing here. The law is a sign. Don't camp there. It points you to Jesus Christ. That's where you're going to camp. Get to Jesus Christ and camp with him with all you've got. Do not stop at the sign. Move all the way forward to what it's pointing to. May God and his righteousness be pointed out and worshiped with all we've got. And all of God's people said, all right. It's a huge deal that we grasp. The sign is the law pointing to Jesus Christ. It says, Uh, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. How is God's righteousness applied to me? It says, through faith for all those who believe. Through faith for all those who believe. This is a huge deal. This is you being able to grasp and celebrate that he is risen from the dead. That he is God Almighty. That he is Lord. I'm attaching this verse now to Romans 10, 9, and 10, where it says that if you believe he is risen from the dead and you confess him as Lord, you will be saved. Man, if you connect it with some other passages that talk about repenting, it's like, I get this. I understand that this is sin and it's wrong. I'm done. The law can point out what's wrong. Your job is to say, forgive me, God. I'm done with this. I'm on with you. May you be in charge in my life. Man, to make him Lord, it's I'm going to agree with what you say. 
you're in charge. You might even need to agree and say, what I'm doing right now is wrong. Please forgive me. It's not a statement of perfection. It is a statement of obedience and following him. And where you're out of that alignment, you get it back in alignment. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, please forgive me. Man, as we believe that he has risen from the dead, as we confess him as Lord, you're in charge. What do you want done in my life? There is a worship that is taking place. And as you spend time worshiping Jesus Christ, man, as you exalt him with all you've got, I'm telling you in that moment, there is life-changing things happening. God doing a work in you. Our hope, well, all we are is having a faith a belief in him. It's God doing the work. That's saved. See, when we say we're saved, it's like somebody taking a life preserver, right? We're out in the water and we're drowning. We can't touch the ground and we're going under. They throw a life preserver out, right? And they say, put your arm around it or put it over you in some way. And then they're pulling in. That's saved, right? It's not where they throw the life preserver out and you're like, that's okay. And then you swim in and you just climb up on the boat. That's not being saved, that's swimming, right? Just so we're super clear on this, we can't swim. We need to be saved. Saved requires someone else to do the work. And all of God's people said, man, here's the deal. Grab onto the life preserver. Faith and belief. He does the rest. Worship him and celebrate him. Lean on him and trust in him. Allow God to do the work. He's calling us to a believing, trusting salvation. It says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For how many? For all who believe. For there is no distinction. I love this. And uh, it's very politically correct nowadays to try not to recognize any distinguishing factors between anybody. And in fact, just so we're super clear, at one level, that's very biblical. There's other things they're doing that are very wrong. I'm not going to go into all that. But here, it's like, just so we're super clear, before Jesus Christ, no distinction, man. No distinction. For all have sinned. How many have sinned? And so if you want to make a distinguished distinction, it's all humanity is sin. There's none that aren't right? That's it. That's our answer is all mankind in dire need. There is no distinction. There's not some that made it and some that didn't. We're all in dire need for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. We've talked about this before, but that word sinned is an archery term. It means to pull back, aim for the bullseye, miss it, miss every outer ring, miss the whole target, come up short and hit the turf, sand flies. It's a sports term. For all have come up short. Just like in basketball when we say we've shot an air ball. And uh, how many points is an air ball worth? And yet we all become really skilled at talking about whose air ball is closer than the others. Have you ever noticed that? Even when you're out there on the basketball court and you're chucking them, and you're like, oh! And it goes like 22 feet and you're 23 feet away, right? And you're like a foot away. And the other guy chucks it and he's like 22 and three quarters feet. He's still like a quarter foot away. He's like, dude, I was totally closer than yours, right? And we start comparing our air balls. But again, how many points is an air ball worth? And don't forget it. Mickey Mouse's hand and we do not measure up. Chucking an air ball, shooting an arrow and coming up short and hitting the turf. That's where we stand. We're in dire 
need. It says very clearly, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just so we're super crystal clear on this, fall short of the glory of God, Mickey Mouse's hand sticking out the measuring. The measuring that's being done is glory of God. And that's what we fall short of. See, all too often we change Mickey Mouse's hand to be the glory of a really good guy I used to know. And that's a much lower bar. And all of a sudden we start feeling pretty good with our works. But the comparison is for all have sinned, come up short, and fall short of the glory and perfection of God. And the law reveals we're nowhere near it. It's pointing out our knowledge of the sin, the what's coming up short, okay? It's that simple. We're in dire need. We're sinners in need of a Savior. And Jesus Christ is our only hope. And all of God's people said, faith and belief in him, man, that's what gets it done. And let's just talk about this for a moment, the process of sin. Why do we sin? I mean, we know it's wrong. Why do we do it? So let's make sure we're super crystal clear on this. This is not a battle of the will, okay? Sin is not a battle of the will where you're like, I will not do this tomorrow. And then you're going to try to muscle tomorrow to make it work. It's not going to happen, man. Maybe you get tomorrow to go well, but I'm telling you, you go several days downstream and it's coming back out. Trying to just force it to not happen does not get it done. The process of sin, so I just wrote this down, three steps. Number one. We have a toxic heart. And uh, I'm just using a phrase there. There's a whole series we went through uh, back in the fall a couple years ago. And you can go back and check that out. It's called the toxic series. And a toxic heart, it means we have sin in our heart. Our heart actually wants things in a broken way. Okay? So the first thing is toxic heart. Second thing is, and then a pressure comes in from the outside some event occurs that makes your heart begin to act and react. So now an outside pressure. Toxic heart, outside pressure starts pressing in. Maybe it's something at work or something at home. It makes you begin to doubt yourself or feel insecure or get angry, whatever it is. And your heart then starts to express out. That's number three. The heart just expresses out. Toxic heart, pressure down, heart expresses. That's where sin comes from. The idea is not to turn around and then say, all right, that's it. I'm just not going to do this anymore. You're just fighting your own hearts, wanting and longing over the course of time, and it will come back to it. You're like, well, then what's the fix? The fix is that the toxic heart gets addressed. That the toxic heart literally gets changed one degree of glory at a time. And that's something only God can do. As you hand it over to him and his work in your life, he begins to change you to be more like Christ a little bit at a time. Some of you are like, I know, and I really wish it was a lot of bit at a time. I need some of this out right now. And, and we get impatient that God's not changing us faster. And I'm just telling you, it is God's work as we lean and trust in him. God doing the work. He brings in the righteousness. He brings in the glory. He brings in the life-changing work and power to your soul. Our hope is in him. Grab the life preserver. That's the end. He does the rest. And all of God's people said, man, we got to grasp this sin. It is the heart just expressing out under pressure. God, may you change my heart. I long to see it transformed 
and I'm handing this over to you. God's righteousness and his glory, saving and changing me, okay? That is the process of sin, and man, I'm just telling you, the process of growth through sin, it's simple. It's believing and confessing him. We've used three words before. We used encounter in the word, exalt, and engage. Encounter, exalt, engage. Man, if you want to go after the life-changing, ground-breaking, heart-transforming work, meet him in the word and worship that God. Praise him for who he is. Thank him. Apologize and confess for sin that needs to go and camp with your Christ. Spend time with him. Worship him. Praise him, thank him, appreciate him, confess what sin needs to go and get real on it. And I'm telling you this, your God loves you and he longs to make changes one degree at a time, okay? Sin, it is what our broken heart expresses and we do need a savior. Grab the life preserver and hold on. He's going to be doing a work in your life, right? You know, I've used this illustration before. We use it in biblical counseling a lot. I just think it's good that when we're talking about sin, we get this clear, all right? Imagine I take a bag and I fill it with a bunch of kind of rancid old food, okay? I fill that bag up with a bunch of garbage. I roll it up. I take it out in the really hot sun, which may be hard to imagine right now out there, but I take it in the really hot sun and I set it out for like, Days at 110 degrees, right? And I just let it cook and cook and cook. It's just getting nasty, filthy inside there, right? Then I come over with a hammer and I hit the bag so the bag tears open. And the smell that comes out of it, can you imagine? And the smell is nasty, right? Now imagine I take a bag and I fill that bag with a bunch of rose petals. Maybe even if you like potpourri, we'll put some of that in there for you. For those of you who don't, we didn't put that in there for you, okay? Just putting this stuff in. We've got it filled up with rose petals or whatever. You roll it up. You set it on the ground. And you come over with a hammer. And you hit it. The smell that comes out is rose petals, right? Same bag. Same hammer. Completely different result. What's going on? It's what was inside the bag. That matters. And I'm telling you, sin is a measure of what's inside your heart. And we always get to be experts on the hammer. We're like, yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. You should have seen what they said. And they, you should have seen how I was treated. Do you know how I was wronged when, right, we're talking about the hammer. We're talking about the pressure on us. But nonetheless, the stuff that comes out is revealing our toxic heart. Sin. It's about what's inside. God, I need you to do a changing work on this. I can't get that done. Muscling it is when we try to shape that and control that, hoping it makes it somehow better. It doesn't get it done. The solution is God's glory, God's righteousness, his glory poured into my life. Man, are you ready to stop battling this thing called sin where you just try to fake it each day or force it each day and time to hand it over to your God? Grab on to the life preserver, believing and confessing, letting him do the rest of the work, 
allowing God to change your soul one degree of glory at a time as you just worship and exalt him. Thank him, praise him, and apologize to him. I'm telling you, that phase of exalting will rock your world. Man, may this year be a year where you take sin seriously. God, I'm ready to see what you see it as, and I'm ready for it to be done. Lord, I'm ready for you to do a work in me. Please forgive me for this. It needs to go. I'm done with it. On with you. You're in charge. Believe that he has risen from the dead. Confess him as Lord and celebrate and worship him regularly and daily as you exalt your king. That's the solution. The solution is not you do the work. The solution is you get to the one who is. That's it. Trust in Jesus Christ. Faith and belief in him. And watch God do an amazing thing. All right? Question. How are you doing with recognizing that sin is truly what's on the inside and coming to your God, worshiping him and trusting him. Are you ready to exalt your king and let him change you, right? Point number three, him for me, him for me. Jesus' death and blood are my replacement payment, which I receive in humble faith. Jesus' death and blood are my replacement payment, which I receive in humble faith. Him for me. This is the gospel message in short. Him for me. So we start in verse 24 here. It says, um, very simply as we walk through this, a hope that we have in Jesus Christ and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus and are justified This means declared by God as righteous. You got to get this, man. There's a moment where God stands over you and he's like, this one is righteous. And just so we're super crystal clear, there's a facet of that that's dead on true. Legally, he has now paid the price. You are covered and treated as righteous. And there is a legal element that is so true, but I'm telling you there's an experiential element that still needs to come along the path of growth. And there's a lot, I'm guaranteeing you, every time he says it, the angels are looking on. And he's like, this one is righteous. And they're like, not, not, not really. Not that one. <laughs> they're really not. And, and, and he's like, now you watch what I'm going to do in this one. And all of a sudden, he awakens up a passion for him. He calls you forward and he changes you one degree at a time. Sometimes it's with breakout change and sometimes it's with little tiny change, but God doing a work in you. And I'm telling you, man, a miracle taking place as the Father has declared, just because of my work and the Son's work. Just. We have hope through Jesus Christ and through God Almighty. He says, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Everybody say, it's a gift. Not earned. These are not the wages. He does not owe it to us. He's giving what we have not earned because he loves us. It says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And I just want to cover this real quickly. There are some who have said, redemption? Well, who's he buying us from? 
And some have said even to go as far as saying, I think maybe he's buying us back from Satan. Have you ever heard that before? That actually he's buying us back from Satan. Just so you know, that couldn't be further from the truth. Satan is so not a part of this topic. This is all about God the Father and God the Son. And in God the Father's perfection and his justice, he demands payment is due. The redemption is God the Son paying in to God the Father to make good with what we owe. This is all about God the Father and God the Son working together because they love you. This redemption, it is all for your benefit and it is all for God's glory. Jesus Christ, his payment on the cross, going to God the Father to be able to appease and replace what we owe. He says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. There's a word we don't use very often, right? He put forward as a propitiation. It means replacement payment. Replacement payment. That's what the word means. Just so you know, the word in the original language there actually can mean one of two different things. It can mean replacement payment, propitiation. It could also be another word. Ready? Here's another uh, dollar word. It could be expiation, meaning taking away sin. Okay? Both of those very legitimate for this word here. And propitiation and expiation, it's the replacement payment of what I owe, and it's the taking away of my sin. And uh, how? It says, by his blood. Hebrews is pretty clear that God says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In the midst of using our blood for life and life action, so we owe blood shed for sin in the midst. That's God's call. That's his plan. And so where we can't get it done and anything we could do will come up short, Jesus Christ comes in, God Almighty, clothed now in humanity, absolutely perfectly God and man, and he lives a perfect life for you and for me, for you and for me. Perfect. And that then can be a replacement payment for us. So his blood, innocent, completely innocent, gets to replace what we owe by his blood. And that's where salvation comes from. It's in Jesus Christ and the cross. It's in his work replacing what we owe. Remember the law, the Mickey Mouse hand that we'll never measure up to. It is not in your works. It is in the blood of Jesus Christ and forgiveness that comes through that. We can have hope and we can have forgiveness. It says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Again, just grab the life preserver and this comes along. Propitiation, expiation, salvation, hope. Jesus Christ, believing in him, confessing him as Lord, grabbing onto the life preserver and he does the rest. Watch God work. Okay? Here's the deal. I just told you I'd tell you a little bit about Old Testament and how it points to Jesus Christ, right? So Leviticus chapter 16 talks about uh, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. It comes up every fall, usually kind of mid to late September. And uh, that's a Jewish holiday. They celebrate the Day of Atonement when they get the sins of the nation covered, all right? So here's what they're supposed to do according to Leviticus 16, the law. They're supposed to bring in two goats, okay? Two goats. And the one goat gets chosen 
is going to be the sin offering for all of the sins of the nation of Israel. And so the high priest ends up having to take that goat and use that blood from that goat to be able to cover the sins for that year. It doesn't cover for all eternity because this is just an animal. It's not Jesus Christ. But cover for that moment, the sins for that year, blood covering. So there's sin offering through the goat. But what's the other goat for? Well, the other goat is actually set up and they do a little kind of a a moment of celebration. They put sin effectively, metaphorically on this one and they let the goat go out into the wilderness and it takes the sin away. Okay, now let's go back. The goat whose blood is shed to cover what they owe, propitiation. The goat who is released into the wilderness to take the sin away, expiation. And both of these are what Jesus Christ is doing for us at the cross. The law in Leviticus 16 was like, you get ready for this. You are going to have a Savior come who will not only cover your sin through his blood, but he will carry the sin away. Get ready, men. That's saved. Jesus Christ, propitiation, him for me. His blood on the cross covering what I owe and carrying the sin away. Now comes the challenge. Here's the deal. We can recognize that we can be saved. We can recognize that we can be forgiven. We talk about Jesus shed blood and we're like, right, cool. I can take this forgiveness thing. I so appreciate God. I worship you and I celebrate you. And then the sin of what we did yesterday comes back and haunts us and we grind on it. How could I have done that? And you say, Lord, please forgive me. And what was I thinking? And I'm so wrong with what I did. And we start beating ourselves up. And hear me, we have now started to live out Leviticus 16, where there is propitiation, the goat paying for it, but there is no expiation. The goat carrying the sin away. I'm telling you this, God has a plan to remove the burden of sin, to remove it legally, to remove it experientially, to remove it in your soul, psychologically and spiritually, where you can begin to live a life where that sin is done. It is over. It is behind you. You can have hope and life and freedom in your God. Sin covered, sin taken away. And all of God's people said, and it's time for us to live the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. Hear me, him for me. You have propitiation, you have expiation. Who'd ever thought you'd walk out saying those kinds of words today, right? You have the replacement payment from Jesus and him carrying the sin away. I'm telling you this, when you come to your God and you're like, Lord, please forgive me, I was wrong. Please forgive me for this, I confess. And you hand it to him. I'm telling you, every moment you're getting the tap on your shoulder that says, how could you have done that? That's where Satan comes into this game. Whispering shame into your soul, keeping you locked down with yesterday and what's already covered. Man, hear me on this. Saved. You aren't joking around. God is covering your sin and removing it. Are you willing to let that happen in your mind and in your soul and begin to live the freedom you have in Jesus Christ?
telling you that is our hope. Make sure that as you live throughout your day, you praise your God not only for the covering of sin, but for the removal of that sin. Everybody say, for the removal. It's a huge deal. We have hope in Jesus Christ, and we have life in Jesus Christ. Salvation, it doesn't mean my works are good enough. It means his are. I'm counting on him, I'm trusting in him, I'm believing in him, and I'm worshiping him. Jesus Christ, he is our propitiation, he is our expiation. May he get all the glory, okay? Last, God's glory on display. Jesus shows off God's perfection and his love as he willingly justifies those with faith even when they do not deserve it. God's glory. He says, this was to show God's righteousness and uh, because in his divine forbearance he had uh, passed over former sins. So think back and imagine like Abraham and he's hanging out and He doesn't know anything about Jesus Christ. He's got little statements that are pointing forward to some kind of hope in a Messiah. He's got a promise of the whole world being blessed through him somehow, but he doesn't quite know what Jesus is and what it's all about with God becoming man. And so Abraham living a life, not perfect, he ends up having sin in his life. How in the world can he be saved before the time of Christ? Well, he's believing and responding to God. Romans chapter 4, it said he believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. So he's believing what God revealed in that moment. Well, what about his sin? What about his sin being paid for and taken away? And it says right here that God passed over those former sins in forbearance. You know what forbearance means? Right? Most of you who are parents, you're like, I know what forbearing means, right? You're like, I've put up with some of what my kids bring into the home and the attitude and the tone and forbearing. It's when you're tolerating in the moment because you're trying to recognize a bigger picture of something. And God ends up bringing a release and a hope as he says, even the sins of all of before. So Jesus Christ, he's covering all sin before, all sin in the present, and all sin in the future. He's covering it and taking it away if there's faith and belief in him. Hope, okay? He says then, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Just so you know, you can only be the one justifying if you are just, right? God is the only one who can be justifying because he is the only one who is truly, fully, completely, perfectly just, And so God the Father declaring in you a release of the debt because of faith in Jesus Christ. He's allowing Jesus' replacement payment to go for you. Our hope is this. We recognize that we have a problem. Sin, eating us alive, selfishness. We are coming up short on the measuring stick of life. Mickey's hand is over our head and that's the end of it. We live life in that way. What do we do, God? I can't ever be good enough. And God says, you are correct on that. But my hope for you is this. Come trust in me. He ushers in not our righteousness, but his righteousness to replace ours. And Jesus Christ dying on the cross and rising again to be able to cover our sin, propitiation, 
and take it away. Expiation. Hope in Jesus Christ. Man, I'm telling you this. We can trust in him for all of eternity. Salvation comes through faith. Okay. So if you came in and you were on the works plan, hopefully we've gotten that pretty clear. Man, get off the works plan. It's time to get on to worshiping your Savior. Let Jesus Christ be in charge. I'm just going to say this real quickly, though. There are a couple of things that have been kind of adjusted on this passage over the years, especially started like in the 1970s and 80s with some statements that were made in the Protestant church. And uh, I'm not saying there's anything really exactly wrong with it, but there kind of is. And so let's talk about it for a moment. Phrases like, you just need to pray to ask Jesus in your heart to be saved. Do you see that in scripture anywhere? Does it say pray to ask Jesus in your heart? I'm good that you're thinking. Do you see it anywhere? The answer is, no, you don't. You actually don't see pray that prayer. Here's what you see. There's a benefit of having Jesus in our heart. There's also a benefit that he's going to go to prepare a place for us. There's also a benefit that the Holy Spirit's going to transform us one degree of glory to the next. These are all benefits. To be able to be standing on this side of the fence where I'm not saved and say, God, give me one of those benefits. Dude, that's a dangerous prayer. Okay? Now, you can end up saying, Lord, I, I, please come into my heart and save me. And you mean you're in charge. Then, then great. God knows where your heart's at with that, and he knows what you mean. It's not about the words being right or wrong, but I am saying this. If you've anchored into some moment where you said, please come into my heart, and nothing ever after that where you believe that he's risen from the dead and you confess him as Lord and you're leaning in and you want to hear from him and you're letting God lead, I'm telling you, please hear me on this. That's not saved. Let's be super careful. It is about God take over in my life. Believe that he is risen. Confess him as Lord. And man, if there's some prayer you prayed or some stick you threw in a fire or some walk you took down to a front or some moment you stood, I'm great with whatever was wrapped together with it. But if it was nothing but words and rhetoric, hoping to grab a benefit while you did not grab on to the life preserver, Jesus Christ himself, please hear me. That's not saved. Get ready now. And all of God's people said, that's a heavy one. And so, Lord, may I please find you as king in charge. I'm trusting and believing in you. I will not toy with this. You are my God. Take over. That's saved. Whatever words you put with it, that's saved. Lean on your God and let him lead. Him for me, all for his glory. I'm trusting in you. <laughs>